All right. Well, good morning and welcome back to part four of our series that we've been talking about on trusting God through life's trials. And we've been walking through Psalm 91 and we started out the first two weeks with um, Bob and JJ having a conversation and wrapped up Psalm 91 last week and talked about uh, how that was all in the context of Moses and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and how they could trust in God during that time. And now we want to kind of take a different look by looking at a different psalm that was written by David and the context of what was happening in his life at that time. So we're looking at Psalm 31. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's pray. Father, we're still grateful to you today and always will be um, that you are our God and our King and that we can trust you and that you care about us and that you hear the, the cries of our souls and that you comfort us and God, that we can look beyond circumstances and beyond this earth and understand that no matter what we face, that you are King and you are in control and that we have our salvation in you and that we rest in you. God, that your son, Jesus, is the first risen from the dead, and he is our example, God, of what you will do in our lives. And uh, we just turn this message over to you today. We pray that it will find a home in the hearts of your people, that you will speak to us. And we just thank you for being with us today as we, uh, because of our quarantine and social distancing, Lord, aren't able to be together as a body, but God, we cannot escape from you, no matter where we are, um, the highest heights, the depths of the ocean, God, you are there. And we're grateful to you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, we did wrap up Psalm 91. And as as you said, that was uh, presumably Moses, according to the scholars. uh, And it fits really perfectly Uh, when you look at the sections and the way that's set up, the message that Moses had is very consistent with the way that story is. So now we're going to look at David. David did not have some of the, I guess, faith advantages that maybe Moses had, right? Um, Now, that's not to say that David didn't see great things in his life. Um, At the time, you know, when David was a a child, um, King Saul was running Israel, and there were constant wars against the Philistines, right? And uh, really, the Philistines kind of had the Israelites under their thumb. There were a lot of things going on, like they weren't allowed to have swords, and they weren't. There were a lot of restrictions that the Israelites or that the Israelites were under because of the Philistines. And there were a couple of characters in here in that story: David and Jonathan, being key uh, people who just, you know, David. Um, as a shepherd boy, had faith that that God was bigger than the Philistine armies, that God was bigger than Goliath. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kid who who goes to the Philistine, uh, to the basically battle line between the Philistines and the Israelites. And he says, look, this God who rescued me from the mouth of the lion and the mouth of the bear can also rescue me from the Goliath worst of the Philistines. The, right. Yeah. So he... The giant. And he he understood that it wasn't, you know, he... Saul tried to dress him up in armor and with mm-hmm. the sword and, 
and send him off to battle. You, you really got to, you got to think of, of, you know, what, what is Saul thinking, you know, to put this kid, this little shepherd kid and, and let him go out and face the Philistines. Just psychologically, what was going on in this camp where nobody would go face this guy. David had a really special kind of faith because contrasting to Moses, as we talked last week about Moses, Moses did not have a ton of faith. Over and over, God was speaking to him from the burning bush. And the, the our translation of the Bible says, but Moses protested, but Moses protested over and over. And then God would go, okay, but look here. And then you'd show him a miracle and you do these miracles. And then Moses like, oh, okay, I get it. And then he's, and then he writes all these, this Psalm about how God is trustworthy. He will do this because he saw it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Now Saul and his whole army are completely faithless that God is going to, to win this battle. David is not. David had seen some things on a much smaller scale than delivery from, you know, Pharaoh's army being buried in the Red Sea. Right. Um, but he had faith in God. And, and so he did the act of faith, really trusting but not knowing for sure that God mm. was going to rescue him. Now, I guess by David's faith, he did know for sure, but by faith, Right. Faith being mm. the evidence of things not seen. In his heart, he absolutely believed. But we'll see when we look at Jonathan and some other characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were a little bit after David. But uh, there, was, there was an attitude of not only is our God able, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to obey him. And so mm. that's the part, that's the heart of David that we see. So David's whole life growing up into this kingship was an extreme hardship. And even... If you, the, there's so many great stories in here. And if you haven't dived in the Old Testament lately, it's so rich. But the stories about the issues that David has with Absalom and his sons, right? And, mm -hmm. and I mean, it's just David's pains, it seems, never end. And so we have all these super rich Psalms written by David that are in the midst of really like a tortured life, his enemies, Saul trying to kill him, Saul hunting him down literally and trying to kill him, mm. you know, having to live on the run and not being able to find shelter anywhere. Um, you know, his son, his son with Bathsheba, his first son dying. And he cared so much about that, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, there are so many other things that we see David just pleading with God and in anguish over. So we're going to look at one of those today. And this is Psalm 31, which is written by David. And this is, this is not as rosy a picture as what we see in Psalm 91, because David was really seeing more of the pain and a lot less of the rescue. So we're going to start with uh, part what I'm going to call part one of this Psalm, which is uh, verses one through five. Can you read that, please? Sure. Oh, Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For, your, for the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. 
Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. So we see in this first section that these are really deeply personal, deeply felt pleas to God. Right. And that these there's a different nature to these than what we see in Psalm 91. When, when David's saying, pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, he's in the trap. And these this actually becomes, you know, David is, they call it an archetype or it's a, it's a mm-hmm. foreshadowing of Christ, right? Yeah. So he's a type of Christ. And this actually becomes a, a prophetic. As he's pinning this, as he's suffering this anguish, he is pinning a prophetic uh, passage that Christ actually refers to, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, Christ feels this and he's praying, rescue me, Lord, for you're a faithful God. But deeply, deeply personal. And then I think part two is really where we see some of the the hope in this. So can you read what I'm calling part two, which is verses six through eight? I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. So this is, um, you know, when when David says, "I hate those who worship worthless idols," what what does that mean? Is he hating? Is this like, okay, we're supposed to hate people that aren't from our culture? No, it's it's David relating to the passion of God, right? the The number one thing God wants is, and it's the the phrase that Christ quotes, you know, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, right? And you will love the the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the first commandment, you know, Mm -hmm. you will have no other gods before me. So this is David reflecting that kinship with God. David saying, God, what you love, I love. What you hate, I hate. And then the the main part of this, though, is that David's comfort in this trap that he's in, David's comfort is that God sees him in his troubles and that God cares. It says in, uh, which verse is this? Um, Verse 7, you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. Now, he's not, he's not praising God for taking away that anguish right here. He mm-hmm. is praising God because mm-hmm. God sees it and he cares. And that's where David's comfort's coming from. So then the next part in verses 9 through 13, I call this the complaint section. Can you go ahead and read that? Sure. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I'm wasting away from within. I'm scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. 
I am ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me. I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. So this is David's complaint. Sounds pretty bad. And there, there is no rescue here. There's no rescue mentioned. He's saying, this is my current situation. Mm-hmm. And it's dire. Like those words, you could, I bet you that if we pulled that section out and stuck it in the book of Job somewhere, nobody would even notice that it was grafted in. They, right. Because that's the, that is the type of lament that we hear in the book of Job. Right. So there, the man who lost everything. Right, right. So th- there's no, this is pure pain. There's no rescue right. here. And that's the environment that David's living in as he pins this. And then in what I call uh, part four, verses four through 18, the, the opening phrase of this, my future is in your hands. In some translation, it says, my times are in your hands. And that's going to be something that we focus on when we talk about something that happened to one of our friends uh, mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. So um, can you read that next section, what I'm calling uh, part four? This is the plea for help. Sure. In verses 14 through 18. But I'm trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. So this is the plea, right? So we had section three was the plight, and now this is the plea for help. He's recognizing that there is no hope for him outside of God intervening, right? right? And sometimes it's unfortunate, but sometimes we have to get to that point before we really cry out to to God. I remember when, um, so for those of you who don't know, Kate and I have been on the mission field. And when we were leaving the U.S., it it was in 2004. So the Afghan war and the war in Iraq were just blazing. And um, we, we went uh, overseas and uh, into a closed Muslim country um, to serve as missionaries. And we worked um, training young people who wanted to be, who, who thought that they were called to be missions in, missionaries in closed countries. So we taught them by doing. We'd bring them over for a period of time and we would teach them. This is how you serve the underground church. This is how you minister within the context of a closed country. Mm. And, and um, when we were preparing to go to the field, um, one of our, uh, our, our adults minister at our church, um, I, was, I was speaking with him about, about the calling. And I, I'll just, I'll never forget this. He, I said, uh, you know, I said, this is how we're going to do it. And we had certain... Uh, parameters that we had to make in order to be able to leave. And, um, you know, a lot of it was, some of it was fundraising. There were other parameters that we had to make in preparation to be able to go. And so uh, he, he heard my story and what we planned to do. And then he goes, all right, 
So what's your plan B? Now, okay, I was a Marine working at the Pentagon at this time. So of course I had a plan B. And I said, well, if we don't, if this doesn't happen, then did it did. And I had it all lined up. And he just kind of hung his head and he looked like super disappointed. And he said, you know, I was really hoping that you would say there was no plan B. And, you know, that has always stuck with me. He's And you know what? Turns because out... Because we knew we had a calling. Yeah. We knew what God was telling us to do. Yeah. Now, our plan B did not include not going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we... The, the point of that, him making that to me, was like, look, if God has called you to this and God has set it up, then it will happen and your faith needs to be that. It... it shall happen right and so and and i'll never forget that but we're reading here in psalm 31 this is david has been through plan z and and he cannot do it on his own and he is crying out to god and you know there's a lot of people in that situation right now there are people who have been out of work since february who don't know where their next meal is coming from Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know when they'll be able to go back to work. They can't get unemployment but just because like over overwhelming number of people trying to get there. And and on top of that, they're sick and they, they're isolated. And there's like no, th- there is just so much potential for hopelessness here. But what David is showing us through this is that, okay, he's saying, yeah, this is where I am. And I'm at rock bottom, but Mm -hmm. guess what? There's nowhere to go but up. And he's crying out to God in that. And he's saying, look, God, you are my plan A. It's not getting any worse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. God, you're it, right? So so many times we have to get to that point of absolute extremity. And then we see the miracle. That's right. So then he goes into what I call part five, and that's verses 19 through 22. How great is the goodness you've stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In panic, I cried out, I'm cut off from the Lord. But you have heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. So this uh, this is where, in spite of that, now David is praising God for the hope that he has in his salvation. Um, there, is, there is no loss of faith in God, even under these circumstances. And I think that's... That's a real lesson we need to take from this, is that we can be at that rock bottom mm. and still know that God cares about our, he sees us in our trouble mm-hmm. and he cares about the anguish of our souls. Right. So God sees us and he cares. And those are so important. We need to cling to those things. And, you know, I love the fact that David, you know, you talked about how Moses met with God face to face. David had maybe more faith because he didn't meet with God face to face, but he still believed. But, you know, Moses had the stories. I mean, David had the stories of Moses. 
Mm-hmm. He had that heritage, and he knew who God was because he knew throughout history who God was and how he had saved his people. So he knew that he could call out to God and get that rescue. That's right. That's right. All right, and then uh, part six, this is the last two verses. Can you go ahead and read that? Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. And I think that's the, that to me, it's the thesis of this whole thing is that God put these stories in here and he put these uh, kind of contrasting views of uh, hope in our lives on this, on this earth uh, because he wants us to live fearlessly. He wants us to know that, look, sometimes I'm going to take you across the Red Sea on dry land and I'm going to bury the Pharaoh's armies behind you in a mm-hmm. flood. Sometimes I'm going to do that. And sometimes you're going to be literally in the trap of your enemies and you're going to be crying out to me in anguish and I'm still your God and I still care and I still love you and I still got this. Right. And that reminds us of a story of a friend of ours. Yeah. So back in um, August of 2003, I think, um, no, 2001. So there were, uh, there were a couple of American girls. They were Baylor University folks. They were from Antioch Church down in Waco, which uh, probably some of you may have even known uh, these girls. Uh, Dana Curry at the time, she's married now, um, and, and Heather Mercer. Mm-hmm. So they had gone to Afghanistan, and um, you want to just quickly relate what they were doing there? So they were there. Honestly, they had heard a call from the Lord to the to serve on the mission field, and they went to help the least of these in the worst place they could think of, and that was Afghanistan. So they were living and working in Afghanistan, trying to help people there, trying to um, bring humanitarian aid and the love of Christ to people in Afghanistan, and they wore a burqa every day, and they were living very humbly um, among the people there. Life was not easy in Afghanistan. I, I think it still isn't, but it definitely wasn't at that yeah. time either. So they were living very simply, and they were trying yeah. to serve the people. So in 2001, at this time, the Taliban was in charge. Right. And uh, and so the, the Taliban, if you, for those of you who are younger than, you know, born after 2001, uh, the Taliban were the people that uh, aided, like, Ben Osama bin Laden and the people that did the the 9-11 attacks. Well, they were Muslim extremists and they were a highly oppressive regime and they hated Christians. Yeah. And And here were these two girls. So what what they had gone there for, there there was a group called Shelter Now and it was an international aid organization. There were Germans and Australians on the team. I think Mm -hmm. there were eight of them. International. And uh, the main thing that they were doing there is there, um, the, under the Taliban regime, um, there were a lot of women who, the, the practice was that if somehow a woman shamed, a young lady shamed her family, they would, 
literally throw acid on her face and cause all these burns. Mm -hmm. And so they were there ministering to these uh, ladies and helping them with medical aid and helping them heal up and getting their lives back together. I mean, very, very compassionate, real work. They've been rejected by their families. They've been disfigured physically, and they were trying to survive the trauma of both those things. So during this time, now uh, Heather and Heather and Dana uh, were roommates for this, and they had a, a small house there in uh, Kabul, and um, they they were not like out being, you know, this like super vocal in your face anti-Taliban and, and proselytizing. Uh, but they were ministering. Mm-hmm. And when people asked about their faith, they were sharing their faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the Taliban were just looking for... Any know, excuse. Yeah. So anyway, they basically set up a sting as I spoke with Dana mm-hmm. and, we, and we, we talked through the events of how did they end up being arrested by the Taliban. It really was a sting. Um, yeah, someone set them up. Yeah, someone had, a, a child came and uh, they had this little book that I think it was a story about a rabbit that told the story of redemption of Christ. And they were able to tell this story of redemption through this little book. And mm-hmm. so this little kid came and wanted it. And then when they, he invited them to, to his house to share the story. And of course, when they showed up there, then they were arrested by the Taliban. So that was a total sting. They end up being thrown in jail in Kabul and ended up over that time being like moved around through five different prisons. They didn't know where they were. Yeah. So uh, do you recall what some of the things that Dana was telling us about, like what was life like being a prisoner there? So uh, as, as one might expect, it was pretty grim. Um, they were isolated. They were kept in, you know, in rooms where they couldn't communicate with very many people outside. Um, and there was not a lot of uh, ways to stay clean or even ways to use the bathroom or, or things like that. So it was, they were at a very basic level and deprived of what we would consider normal uh, almost rights, you know, yeah, to, yeah. to be able to bathe, to be able to have a toilet, things like that. So it was, it was just super oppressive. Uh, the rumor was that they were going to be sent to Kandahar uh, next. So they were in, they ended up, after being in several different prisons, they ended up in Ghazni, which was mm-hmm. the worst that they had been in thus far. Mm-hmm. You know, through this time, mm-hmm. um, you know, Dana would, Dana tell stories about her just like laying on her little mat in her little adobe prison cell and just crying out to God. And this Psalm 31 was their, their last Bible study as a team. This is what they had covered in this. My future is in your hands. My time is in your hands. That was the prevailing, you know, thought on her mind. And this this holds, of course, she had no access to Bible. Right. And it was the songs that she had grown up with in church. It was the, the music that was going through her mm-hmm. hearts that she would sing mm-hmm. to herself. And you know what? She continued to minister to the ladies 
in the prison. Of course, they're completely segregated prisons. Even ours are here. Mm -hmm. um, but continued to minister to people in the prison. As many people as they could come in contact with, they, mm -hmm. they showed kindness. And mm -hmm. I think they felt like it wasn't going to get any worse. They were already in prison, so now they could share their faith. That's right. And so ultimately, um, you know, they, they were rescued. The, the, uh, on August, I think it was August 15th, or November 15th. So they went in in August. They were in prison, various prisons, till November 15th. They were about to be sent to Kandahar, and the rumors about Kandahar was nobody gets out of Kandahar alive. So they thought they were going to their death. And now this is the time, you have to remember the times here. You know, Daniel Pearl had been beheaded. All these, the, the Taliban was so extreme, and they were literally murdering Americans. And filming it. And filming it. And showing it off. So, I mean, this is really, really serious. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, where is God in all this? So ultimately, they're in Ghazni, and uh, they had, uh, there was a contact, and I'll spare the details because this, uh, because people's lives still could be in danger over this, but there was a contact that they had uh, that was, um, I guess, administratively helping them out, that was mm -hmm. able to get a message uh, to them back and forth to the embassy. So ultimately, States, yes. um, the embassy in Islamabad, Pakistan, uh, ultimately uh, three Blackhawks showed up to get them. But uh, it was at the time when the Northern Alliance, if you recall, we had spent sent special forces in the, that horseback fighting tanks on horseback. That really happened. And U.S. forces were helping these guys do that. That's the Northern Alliance. So as Dana tells the story, great, because it's like the middle of the night. And this like Afghan Rambo looking guy with like no shirt on and bandoliers of ammunition <laughs> across his chest shows up and opens their cell and says, you're free. Get on out. Get on. Come and on. so, yeah, let's go. And so uh, so they did. And they they ran out. They had to find a, a the, the rendezvous point for the helicopters to pick them up. And it's the middle of the night. Middle of the night. And, the, and they're in an unfamiliar place. They've never been before. So very uh, symbolically and ironically, they, the, uh, so the, the signaling device that had been smuggled to them didn't work. No batteries. Out of batteries because it took so long. So they burned their burkas, <laughs> the, the scarves that they had worn in prison. They burned those to create a signal fire uh, for the special forces to come pick them up, which they did. Um, but God rescued them, and you know what? Both of those young ladies are still on the field and still ministering. And, uh, you know, we met Dana on the mission field, and she was uh, just amazing. Her faith in God, even having lived through this. And, and you know what? I think even though it's still traumatic, it's still a sweet experience. The rescue of God is still sweet. Um, Dana wrote a song called "My Time Is in Your Hands," and uh, it is available. They had a they had a book called "Prisoners of Hope," mm -hmm. um, and they they published uh, a, some uh, like a CD at the time, but I think it was called "Songs of Hope." But this is on there. But it says, um, "I have lost most everything." These are the lyrics from Dana's song. I have lost most everything. All my plans have fallen through. The future is unclear. 
I'm not, not sure what to do. Lord, I trust in you. And I say, you are my God. And I say once again to you, my time is in your hands. And that's Dana's uh, Psalm 31 story. So I think that uh, that will wrap us up today. The thing that I want us to take away from this is that uh, sometimes God rescues. It's in God's big picture, all of history view of things that he makes these decisions. Our lives are in his hands and our souls are secure in him regardless of what happens to this physical body, regardless of what happens to us physically on earth, what happens to our possessions is of no consequence mm. to God and it shouldn't be of consequence to us even though our hearts, like David, cry out in anguish sometimes. God hears and God cares. So I want us to take that Psalm 31, 24, be strong and courageous, all you who put your trust in the Lord. And let's let that be our prayer for this week. Kate, you want to pray us out? I will. I just want to share one more thing that as we were talking about this, it was so on my heart from um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's just a giant in the faith. One of the things that he said that has been something that I've carried in my heart when I think about things like this, he said, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And I think in the end, that's what it comes down to. This side of glory, sometimes I'm not going to know why God is doing some of the things that he's choosing to do in my life. Why he chooses to rescue or why he chooses not to rescue. But I can trust his heart in that. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you do hear and answer our prayers. Thank you that you are a mighty God and you are mighty to save. We thank you that we can put our faith in you and that when we do, you are here with us. You understand us, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, who groans, who intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. We know that there is nothing that we go through that you cannot understand. We know that Jesus experienced the depths of despair and the most difficult betrayals. And so, Father, we know that we can trust you. And we thank you for that. And I just ask your blessing on everyone who's watching today. I ask that you would go with us as we head out this week. Um, I Help us to just shine our light for you, to give a witness for you, and to serve you in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. See you all next week.